Good morning. If you have a Bible, would you turn to Luke 16, Luke 16, 19 through 31, and then we're going to jump to John 14, 2 through 4. We're in this series called Heaven, and today I want to talk about heaven and hell, a figment of our imagination, question mark. Um, if you need a Bible, slip a hand up. We've got some ushers bringing Bibles down the aisle, and they'll love to get one in your hands. You can uh, scan that QR code, jump on the Bible app, and follow along that way as well. I'm so thankful and so glad that you're here worshiping with us. And, and for those in traditions and those in kindred, um, what a great day to worship our Lord. Today will be a little bit of a heavy message, um, just to prepare you, um, particularly when we get to the, the part of talking about hell. Bits and pieces of today's message I mentioned when we did a series called The End, but I don't think we can revisit this topic and the concept of heaven and hell uh, enough. A series such as this one involves speculation. I'm drawing from both the obvious that we see in Scripture and also, like I said last week, the, the hints that we see in Scripture, but I'm also drawing from other resources like the book called Heaven written by Randy Alcorn, and we have some of those copies available. We sold out, uh, I think we are close to selling out last week at the info desk, but we have more copies today, and we also have some children's resources today, so if you want to check those out um, that he's written on the concept of the topic of heaven. I'd like to begin with this question, is heaven a real place? Is hell a real place, or are the imaginary places? Last week I introduced the question, what happens to people when they die? And some of the, the common ideas or thoughts um, would be reincarnation. Some people believe that after death a person uh, goes to a new body and they, they never really die. They, they continue to live in new bodies over and over again. Some people believe in annihilation, and this view suggests that as soon as we die that we are annihilated, we're done, meaning that uh, we're done away with, there's no afterlife. This life is everything. It ends when we stop breathing here on this earth. Some people believe in ghosts. Some believe that people who die become ghosts who live here among us, but they live in a different realm, and so we can't see them. Some people, I mentioned last week, believe in this idea that true love wins, meaning that eventually, um, because God is love, that every person will eventually end up in heaven, that there's no literal hell. Some think we just fall asleep. It's just, we just sleep forever. And some believe in heaven and hell. People, when they leave this earth, will spend eternity either in heaven with God or in hell apart from God. Not everyone believes in a literal heaven. But the concept of heaven is easily acceptable to most people. The idea of, of there being a place of, of this everlasting perfection, this everlasting peace and the presence of God. I mean, come on. To the contrary, the idea of a literal hell, a place of eternal torment and punishment is not as easily accepted and is often thought to be a ploy to maybe motivate or manipulate someone to respond to some sort of uh, question or, or an offer out of fear. And this morning I'd like for us to see from Scripture the reality of both eternal destinations. If not already, I hope, I hope you leave this morning knowing that heaven and hell are real places. They are not make-believe or a figment of our imagination. 
that every person will spend eternity in either heaven or hell. That a person's eternity is not decided by good works, it's not decided by religious activity or a position in life or a deserving attitude. That a person's eternal home is decided by whether or not you know Jesus Christ as your personal savior. I hope that you leave this morning knowing the assurance of your salvation. I hope that you leave knowing and being motivated to tell others about Jesus. The most common question regarding the reality of heaven and hell is if God is love, then why would he send anyone to hell? And the answer is simple. And that is that God doesn't send anyone to hell. From the moment that we are born, if you can imagine it this way, from the moment that we are born, we join a line and we get in line with every other human and and all uh, are destined to hell. We're in this line heading to hell. Now I want you to imagine this for a second, that when you're born, you're in this line with everybody else. Now here's what I want you to imagine and Imagine that God um, comes up to this line, and, and maybe you can think of it like this. One by one, he, he's going down the line, and he's having a conversation with each person, and he's having a conversation with you, and he's having a conversation with me, and, he, and he's sharing with you the good news of his son, Jesus Christ, that he came to this earth, he died on the cross, so that we don't have to spend eternity in hell, that if we confess our sins, that we can know him in a personal way, and he's inviting us, he's offering to us to step out of that line and to become a child of his. And if you're a believer here this morning, in a sense that's exactly what happened, is that God offered you, he called you out of that line. He desires that all might be saved. A person chooses hell when they refuse to accept the free gift of salvation being offered to them from God through the cross. God doesn't send people to hell, we choose hell. Let's talk about hell first. The definition of hell. Hell is a place of eternal conscience punishment for the wicked. The reality, Luke 16, 19 through 31. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. And the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him off to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Verse 25, but Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now... He is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. 
He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let them be warned so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. He says, no, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And then he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. And and so what is being described here in this particular passage of scripture is a place called Hades. It was a place that had two sections. One, One was a section that was called Paradise, It was called Abraham's bosom, and the other was a punishment section. You can imagine just this area. It is believed by many that the paradise portion of Hades was emptied out when Jesus died on the cross and then he was raised from the dead, that he took with him those who were in the paradise section of Hades into paradise, into heaven. What we see taking place here in this passage is a conversation between Lazarus who is in the paradise portion, and the rich man who is in the punishment section. And and the point of this passage isn't to suggest in any way that rich people are in torment in the afterlife and beggars are in heaven in the afterlife. And for this portion of the message, I want us to focus our attention on the punishment side of Hades, or what we might like to refer to as hell. The first thing uh, that we must take notice of is that it's a conscious state. Hell will be a place of utter misery, a place of conscious punishment for sins, a place where there will be absolutely no hope for relief. Verse 23 says, in Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. First, take special notice of the word torment. It's a word used to describe this this definite, undeniable pain. It's the same word used in Revelation when, when God's judgment will be released upon the unrepentant world. It's an excruciating pain, pain beyond our wildest imagination. And it carries with it a picture of pain inflicted by the ancients in order to induce people to make a confession of their crimes. These torments or tortures were the worst imaginable forms of torment that they could inflict, such as scourging or burning. And the use of the word here denotes that the sufferings of the wicked can be represented only by the forms of the most extreme human suffering. Verse 24, he said, so he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus. Could, could you at least just do this? Could you, could you send Lazarus and, and have him take his finger and just dip it in water and, and then put it, put it on my tongue? because I am in absolute agony in this fire. I want to look at his requests. The first request is, have mercy on me. Have pity on me. Notice he did not ask to be released from that place. 
He was fully aware that his suffering would never come to an end, nor does he ask to be allowed to go over to where Lazarus was. Can I go over there? He didn't ask that. And then he says, would you, would you send Lazarus? And this shows how low that he was reduced and how the circumstances of people change when they die and that at death all people are equal. And just before Lazarus was laid at his gate full of sores, now he is happy in heaven. Notice the irony in this passage. Remember where they came from. Remember who they were before they died. Remember how they acted and and the decisions that they made before their eternal destination. Prior to death, Lazarus had nothing to give, nothing to offer this rich man. Now the rich man asks him as the highest favor that poor old Lazarus might come and give him relief. Because at death all are equal and the rich man would beg for the slightest favor from the hand of Lazarus. The tables were flipped. And his request was dip the tip. This was a small favor to ask and it shows the greatness of his distress and torment with such a small thing would be considered such a huge relief to cool my tongue the effect of great heat on the body causes insatiable thirst like those who travel in burning deserts who suffer beyond words when they are deprived of water So pain of any kind produces thirst, and especially pain related to heat, and the sufferings of the rich man represented a constant burning of thirst, so much that even a drop of water would be refreshing. I am in agony in this fire, he says. The place of hell is often depicted as a place of suffering from fire. Because fire is an image of the severest pain that we know. And so Jesus teaches us regarding hell in this passage that the wicked will suffer incredible misery, incredible pain. It is a place where those who reside will retain their desires and their memories. It will be a place where the residents will long for relief with no hope. A place where no comfort will be available. A place where torment is constant without relief. Someone once wrote when they envisioned hell, a sign chiseled above the entrance of hell. Abandon every hope, you who enter. Eternal darkness. Weeping. The gnashing of teeth. Again, we draw from Scripture, Matthew 13, 42. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Weeping shows the depth of the emotional agony and the gnashing of teeth shows the extreme physical pain and agony. C.S. Lewis was told of a gravestone inscription that read, 
here lies an atheist, all dressed up and no place to go. C.S. Lewis quietly replied, I bet he wishes that were so. Maybe you've seen a comic strip before or a picture depicting what what hell might be like, a never-ending party, as though it's going to be more of the same of the evilness, the pleasure, all the things that that people experience on this earth. In fact, some people say they would rather spend eternity in hell and party forever than spend eternity in a place where it's like a never-ending church service of which both views are wrong. Well, how long will people be there? Matthew 25, 46. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. More recently, there has been a a growing movement denying eternal punishment. It has previously been denied by the Seventh-day Adventist Church and even more recently by some what we might call progressive evangelicals. One thought is that after the wicked have suffered the penalty of God's wrath, God then will annihilate them to to kinda, uh, so the pain no longer exists. That, That hell can't be eternal. And the evidence of an abbreviated temporary suffering followed by annihilation you can read scripture, you can search scripture, um, it's not there. In fact, it's just the opposite. Eternal punishment is spoken of throughout scripture. Maybe because we wish eternal hell on no one, that we would like to limit the, the severity and make it temporary. In this passage, Jesus uses the same word eternal to describe both heaven and hell. If heaven is forever, then hell is forever. And the eternal state for heaven cannot be supported without also supporting the eternal state for hell. Well, who will be there? The occupants. Hell will be made up of the following kinds of people. Unbelievers, those who refuse to receive Jesus, those who maybe God has even come to and they're like, no, I don't want anything to, to do with you. And they reject God, they reject Jesus. Those whose name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. Because the only way a person's name is written in the Lamb's book of life is when you receive Christ as your savior. Those who spent their entire life attempting to earn their way to heaven by doing good works. Those who believe there are many ways to heaven and that Jesus is just one option. Those who know the truth and yet reject it. Those who refuse to give their life to God by inviting Jesus to be their savior. Matthew 7, 21 through 23 says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. 
Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will say to them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So back to that concept of the lion. Imagine that this lion, and just one by one, and then and it's somebody's turn, and they get up there, and they're, and they're trying to explain to God all of the wonderful, incredible things that they've done, and God says to them, but I never knew you. I didn't know you. Yeah, I mean, wow, look at all the great things you did. But I didn't know you. You didn't surrender your life to me. You didn't know my son Jesus. Let's talk about heaven. The definition is heaven is a place of eternal conscience, love, joy, and peace for those who believe. What's the reality? John 14, two through four. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. So, so many people have drawn their own conclusions to what heaven will be like if, in fact, heaven is real. Many of those who believe it is real believe it to be somewhat of a, of a mystical kind of place, a place where God will be. Maybe we'll float around on a cloud, right, and play a harp. I, I hope not. Maybe it'll be like this never-ending church service. No, it won't be. Some think it'll be a great adventure exploring the unknown. Maybe. We all, no doubt, have all kinds of questions about heaven. Will we have bodies? Will they, will they be different than the ones they are now? Will we know each other? Will we live together as families? Will we work? Will we marry? Will there be time? What will the weather be like? Will we eat and drink in heaven? Will people be capable of sin? Will our knowledge grow? Will we pay taxes? Will there be TV? Will there be sports and other forms of entertainment? Will we know what is going on on earth? Will we go to church? Will we be able to leave and come back? Will we remember the past? Will there be animals? All kinds of questions that get asked about heaven. And some of those questions we're going to unpack over the next few weeks. But others we can only speculate, much of which is done through our hopes and dreams of what it might be like. Or what scripture, the hints that scripture gives us. But the question for today is, is heaven a real place? Or is it just a fantasy that Jesus chose to use and means to, to, to motivate us, to, to give us hope in order to, to get us through this life? Because life can be difficult. Like to say, oh, just wait, heaven's coming. What if in the end, all there is is a sign that says game over? Well, according to Jesus, heaven is a real place. It's not a place of imagination. It's not a place of wishful thinking. Heaven is a place where God dwells and where Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Inscription, in Scripture, heaven is described as a kingdom or an inheritance, a country, a city, a home. Those are descriptions of heaven. 
in my Father's house, so if we unpack that scripture a little bit, in my Father's house is this idea of the dwelling place or the palace of God, a house designed specifically for his children. It goes on, it says, there are many rooms or, or mansions, meaning an abode or simply a room or an abiding place. If it were not so, Jesus is saying, I have kept nothing from you. I'm telling you the truth. I'm gonna go there and I'm preparing a place for you. And the picture here is taken from one who is on a journey, who goes before his companions to provide a place for people to lodge in and to make it the necessary preparations ahead of time. That's the, that's the idea, that's the picture that Jesus is painting here. I'm going before you, I'm gonna have it all ready. While Jesus was here on earth, it's been said that he's a carpenter, and right now he's building a church. The body, his bride. But he's also building heaven, our final home. That'll be occupied by all who believed and received Jesus. And then verse four, you know the way, he says. You know the way. That is, you know the way that leads to the dwelling place to which he was going. In other words, he has given us very clear instructions. And I was thinking this morning as I was, as I was reading through this, it's this idea of like we all have cell phones, right? It's like he dropped a pin, if you can think of it in that context. He dropped a pin, like the exact location. He said, you know the way. Scripture is that pin. He, he, he shared his location. The duration, again back to Matthew 25, 46. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, the righteous to eternal life. Most people who believe in heaven and hell believe that every person will go to one or the other place based on how they live their life on this earth. Oh, please. In most people's minds, the majority will go to heaven based on the common thinking that by, by nature, man is inherently good. And that thinking goes along with the thinking that God is love and he's only love. Most would say if in fact there is even a hell, the only people who will go there are, are those who were evil while they lived on this earth. People like, like really bad people, really evil people, like serial killers or murderers or rapists. Who will be in heaven? Heaven will be made up of the following people. Believers, those who have believed in Jesus as their savior those who have trusted him as the only way to heaven, those whose names have been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. At the moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ, your name is recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life. And I always like to think of it like it's almost like it's written in blood. Those who believe that Jesus was telling the truth when he said in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth and I am the life. No one comes to the Father 
except through me. Where will you spend eternity? Based on what you've known, based on what you've thought, based on what you've heard, where will you spend eternity? This is a Bible, it's an evangelism Bible. I like, I like to use this. Here's what I want to do. Um, I was in conversations this past week just talking about the power of God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit working. So what I want to do is I just want to read four different scriptures. And I'm just going to read them. And then I'm going to pause. And I want you just to, to reflect upon the words out of God's holy word. And maybe we can just invite um, the Holy Spirit to penetrate our hearts. It begins in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. <clears throat> Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the last one that I wanna share is actually the one thing. And it's Romans 10, nine. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. My question this morning is this. Is God speaking to you? Maybe he's, for some of you, he's just having you revisit the truth of, of his word. Maybe for some of you, you're celebrating that you know Christ and you've surrendered your life to him and that you get to spend eternity in heaven. Maybe for some of you, this is weighty because you know of people in your life that don't know Jesus. Maybe for some of you, you're in that line and right now, you're sensing that God's actually having a conversation with you and he's providing you with an op opportunity. God speaking to you. God, uh, each of us enter this room, this place, this place to worship with different things that are heavy on our hearts, on our minds. And God, I pray that through the power of your working, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that we could just 
have a reprieve from those things that are weighing so heavy, those things that you say to cast upon you, the burden that you agree to carry. And may we have this time to just worship you and to honor you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.